Well, I think for all of us, a lot of times we like to have the inside track, a little bit of inside knowledge or a little secret or a key and we like to show it off and show people and um, this week I found a couple of interesting hidden messages in three very common company logos. So real quick, I just want to show you these three that I, there's more than this, but I'm just pick three and some hidden messages. So first one is FedEx. And some of you probably know what it is, and others are going, how can there be something hidden in five letters? Um, and once you see it, you can't unsee it, okay? Look between the E and the X. It's an arrow. It's an arrow. It's taught in like master's classes, so how about use negative space to show off something? So hidden message of FedEx. Okay, NBC. I've watched NBC my whole life. There's been different logos, and I just never thought of it, but there's a peacock. It's a, I mean, everyone's going, okay, it was a peacock. But here's the interesting thing that I found out. Why is it a peacock? Well, in the 50s, when they became one of the first color television networks, they thought the most colorful thing, let's show off the colors, and that's why they picked the peacock. Awesome, okay, last one. Everyone's seen this one, Amazon. Amazon, okay, so you guys know the smile, of course. Everyone's probably heard smile.amazon.com, but I had no idea that's an arrow. A to Z, what does that mean? They sell everything from A to Z, and boy, they sure do. Anyway, but there's these hidden messages in all of these things, and, but I think for a lot of us, this is sometimes how we look for God's will in our life. We're looking for the writing in the sky, we're looking for the invisible in the visible. And when we think about discerning God's will for our life, it's a pretty important question. And for a lot of us, it feels elusive, trying to figure it out. You just can't get your hands on it. And so that's what we're gonna be looking at today is how to discern God's will for your life and looking at Romans 12 in three very specific ways in which we can do that. So, uh, open your Bibles, open your phones or tablets, chapter 12, as you're doing that, uh, just to give you some context, chapters 1 through 11, leading up to this point, has all been, been about the gospel, that we are sinners, we're deserving of death, and Jesus came and he took that on himself and died on the cross, and we get to be with him in eternity. It's this amazing, awesome sermon, chapters 1 through 11. And now he's shifted, and the rest of Romans is really looking at how that impacts our life right now today. And what we'll see is one of the major ways in which the whole rest of the book of Romans is playing out has to do with relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with others. So as we do that, let's start in verse 1. Therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So, quick recap. So we are to be a living sacrifice, transformed by the renewing of our mind, playing a part in God's family so we can know and love God's will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Another way to say God's will is that it's always beneficial and the best that it can be. Always beneficial and the best that it can be. And that, I don't know about you, makes me want to be a part of it and bringing it about. So let's look at the first way that we can bring about and discover God's will for our life. We discover God's will by bringing our best. Bring your best. Let's look at verse one real quick, but we're gonna look in the message version this time. It says this, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. It's a little more tangible, isn't it? A living sacrifice, taking everything we do, bringing our best to it, and offering it to God. So Jonathan, are you saying that in the ordinary stuff of my life, and I bring the best to it as if unto God, God's pleased in that? Yes, absolutely he is. That's what he wants us to do. Let let me give you a quick story. I hate doing dishes. I I mean, a lot of people hate doing dishes, but I hate, I mean, I really hated it to the point where, you know, there would be no clean bowls, no clean spoons, and I would look for any type of container by which I could put cereal in just so I wouldn't have to clean a bowl or a spoon. And a lot of you are thinking about the fact like, wow, yeah, that's not the way to eat cereal. That's gonna ruin the experience, and you're absolutely right. But that's how committed I was. But (laughs) here's the thing. The other thing I knew that was the line that I had by which the dishes were so dirty, you, you know, you get to that line where you just have to do something, that line was way further down than my wife's. Way further down. And I know what you're thinking, that sounds really super selfish. And that's because it is. <laughs> it is super selfish. But then, then there was this speaker that talked about doing the ordinary stuff as unto God. Doing the ordinary stuff as unto God. And so I started doing the dishes as if unto God. And over time, it changed how I felt about doing dishes. It also changed how my wife felt about me. No, it it didn't really change how she loved me, but it changed how she, it showed her that I loved her. Because the thing I didn't say was she hated doing dishes too. But here's the thing, no, don't tell my wife. Now sometimes I actually enjoy doing the dishes. I do. And to the point where I'm bringing my best to it, and if I see her doing the dishes, I sometimes feel like I have to correct her in how she loaded those things there. And, uh, 
and that always goes well. <laughs> uh, and so I obviously have some pride that I need to give to God and sacrifice there, but um, here's the thing. I was inspired by a speaker to go out and do something different with my life, and you and I both know it's easy from a sermon or a talk to be inspired or motivated, and it's putting an intentional rhythm into your life that starts to change things over time. And I have a lot of areas of my life that need this. If I took the picture of the inside of my car right now, you'd go, well, yeah, that needs some new habits applied to it. But here's the thing I need to remind myself is habits eat inspiration for breakfast. Habits eat inspiration for breakfast. We might be inspired and we wanna use straight willpower to just, I'm gonna change this, I'm gonna bring every area to my life unto God and I'm gonna just give my best in all of these areas, but it's these patterns that we shape into our life that will actually change and be able to give us the ability to give our best to God. Another way to say this is if you wanna change your life, change your habits. If you wanna change your life, change your habits. And God says, to change them all to be about him. So do you have road rage? Make a habit of praying for the person who cut you off. See a homeless person as you're driving? Put some granola bars in your glove box. Stay up too late watching Netflix most nights? Set an alarm to go to bed and watch your shows in the morning. Guaranteed two things will happen. You'll get more sleep and watch less shows. But let's bring our best. Knowing in that is where we'll see God's will for our life. So now let's look at the second way. We discover God's will by being his student. Be his student. As we live our lives unto God, we'll start to ask, are these the things that I should be doing? Are these the ways in which I should be doing it? Are there things that God that you are wanting me to do that I'm not doing. That's part of discerning God's will, isn't it? But let's look back at verse two. It said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Now, a lot of us that grew up in church, we've heard this verse a lot, so I'm gonna read it in a different translation, the New Testament for everyone. It's N.T. Wright's translation of the Bible. He's a New Testament theologian and historian. He says this, what's more, don't let yourselves be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It's saying here, don't be just like everyone around you. That is our default. You need to be different. You need to be changed by having a different way of thinking, thinking like Jesus. We saw last week in chapter eight, verse 29, that we're to be conformed into the image of his son. Conformed into the image of Jesus. We need to be his students to be able to do that. And so why do we need to be a student of Jesus? Well, there's enough that I just said there, but let me give you two other really good reasons why we need to lean into this. So Jesus, he's the one who made us. He's the one who knows our intended and designed purpose. 
And he's the only one to have lived perfectly human. That should be enough right there. But number two is he's shown that he's the forever king. He's the king of the future, the now and forever. Recently, Tim Keller was asked about a moral issue facing um, our culture. Tim Keller's an author and pastor in New York City. And the person was asking him very strongly, don't you want to be on the right side of history? And he just took a moment and said, I want to be on the right side of eternity. I want to be on the right side of eternity. See, when Jesus came, God's kingdom broke in in this new way, meaning the rule of God broke in. And we saw in verse 2 that his will is good and pleasing and perfect. So I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. Culture is going to change over time. See, when Jesus asks us to think differently, it inevitably will change how we act. And things that Jesus calls us to do and teaches us as we're his students, we will see very clearly that a lot of them will be counter-cultural. A lot of them will be very difficult for us to implement and to change. And some point in our journey, some of those things might even be offensive to us. But we're called to be his student. He saved us, and he knows our way. So we have to have our thinking changed so that we can be changed. Now, some of you heard me uh, show this quote before, but I think it's worth repeating. The late Dallas Willard, a famous philosopher and Christian author, said this about this idea, that discipleship being his student, involves doing everything as if Jesus were doing it. As disciples, we say, yes, I will learn to do all the things that Jesus said to do. That's when we become his students. Through this process, we learn things we never thought about. We build lives that are not just ours, but God's as well. See, this is part of our process of being a living sacrifice. This is our worship. You know, growing up, my dad, facing any issue, any challenge, anything before us, he, he would always answer some of those with a question. It would say, what does the word say? In other words, he's saying, what does Jesus have to say about this? It's just instilled in me. What does Jesus have to say about this? And that's how we need to think. Here's another way to look at it. A lot of you guys know that I'm a piano player. I love playing the piano. And nothing bugs me more when I'm playing a beautiful grand piano and playing a piece, and then I come to a note, and it's out of tune. I mean, it just hurts my ears, my brain. It just reverberates negativity up and down my whole body. It's just, oh, it's not right. And I want you for a second just to think of yourself as one of those notes on the piano. One of those notes on the piano. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be squeezed into the shape dictated by the present age. See, our default, our world around us, sin, brokenness, selfishness, it all pulls us out of tune. Constantly out of tune. And we need to be tuned by a tuning hammer. You'll see how far I go with this analogy here. That's the Holy Spirit. 
the one Jesus called the helper. He's the one who brings us into all truth. When we give our life and surrender our life to Jesus, we're given the Holy Spirit, and he can tune us. And Jesus, he's the tuning fork. He's the perfect pitch to which we're to be tuned into. He provides the way, that perfect pitch, and it's a cooperation with him to go this way. This learning Jesus' way to think and act, tuning ourselves to this note, this helps us see God's will for our life. See, when we live the way God wants us to live, we'll see more clearly the way God wants to move through us. When we live the way that God wants us to live, we'll see more clearly the way God wants to move through us. Because many times when we're facing a situation, asking a question, have a problem, we might be missing the point. Not in all cases, but we might be missing the point. What if God isn't looking to fix our problem, but fix our perspective? What if God's looking to not fix our problem, but fix our perspective? That maybe our problem needs a new perspective for us to find our purpose. See, we're to change our lives by renewing our minds to be like Jesus. And we do this by knowing what he has to say. We have to study his word. We have to study the Bible. Tuning our out-of-tune lives with the one who has perfect pitch. So, we find God's will for our lives by bringing our best into everything, the ordinary. We find God's will by becoming students of Jesus. And the third way, important way, we discover his will by serving his family, by serving in his family. Verse four and five, I said this, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. See, we have a unique role to play in God's family. We are like a great orchestra, all different instruments, bringing together this great score that God is writing. So what happens if we haven't discovered that instrument, that role, that gift that we have to play? Well, it means the orchestra is missing an instrument. And you're missing out on some of the fulfillment of God's purpose for your life, his will. Let me say it this way, you have a unique thing that God gifted you to bring. You have a unique thing that God gifted you to bring. You have a unique story, unique experiences that you bring to the table along with your gifts. Here's another way to think about it. It's the St. Peter's Basilica. Just to give you the size of it, there's the tiny little humans all at the bottom. I mean, this thing is ginormous. St. Peter's Basilica took over 120 years to build. 120 years to build, and all the other stuff after it, even longer after that. But that means that there were architects, builders, artisans, artists, all these different people working and giving of their whole craft 
to build this thing, most of them never seeing it completed. Never seeing it completed. Giving of their lives, everything they did for what we can see now. See, a lot of you are thinking, what do I have to offer? And I just want to say to you, God's very clear, you have a purpose. You have a role to play. And even as you're playing it and you don't see the fulfillment of everything, we can have great confidence that God does use it for his purpose. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, in the Lord, as you know, the work you're doing will not be worthless. You know what that means? What we do for God is never wasted or worthless. What we do for God is never wasted or worthless. And for mothers in here today, I just want to say, if you're in a season of feeling isolated, unappreciated, those things that you do unto God for your kids are never wasted or worthless. Never. And this is also something that we need our kids and teenagers to hear as well, that what they do for God is never wasted or worthless. Never Let me share a story with you. I was just this week at an event and there was a speaker there. His name was Bill Butters. Some of you may know who he is. He's most well known for his hockey career. He grew up and played hockey at White Bear Lake. He played under legendary Olympic gold medal winning coach Herb Brooks at the U of M. He played for the Minnesota North Stars. But at the age of 30, he was told his hockey career was over. His life was pretty messy. A lot of stuff going on. And he got invited to a a kid's hockey camp to teach. And he said, well, how much does it pay? They said, well, it's a Christian hockey camp. We ask everyone to volunteer. And he just, he did not like Christians. He thought they were losers. He thought they were phonies. And he's like, I'm not doing this. But... As the story goes, his wife said, you're going. And sometimes that's <laughs> how those things work. And so what happened was um, when he got there, he found out that all these players were bad. And what he meant by that was that they didn't understand hockey language. 80% of hockey language was swearing. And none of these kids are swearing. And he goes, and they're supposed to be fighting and battling, but they're being super nice to each other. This doesn't make any sense to him. And so as he's at this camp and he's seeing these kids doing things differently and they're reading their Bibles and then they're singing to Jesus and doing all these other things, he's, he kind of says to some of them, like, you guys are really into this stuff? Now, these are, these are 12-year-old boys at this hockey camp. And these tw- some of these 12-year-old boys just kept on inviting Bill to the chapel come to our small group, come hang out with us outside of the hockey time. And he was just resistant. But after three days of what he called them pestering him, he finally goes, okay, I'll come. And he went to the chapel and he heard a testimony and a song. 
and he got invited to the group of those 12-year-old boys afterward. And these 12-year-old boys put their hands on Bill and prayed. One of them prayed for his family. He's married two kids. One prayed for the next part of his career where they, he would have something new before him. Another boy prayed that he would know Jesus. These 12-year-old boys praying for him. And in light of that, that night, Bill Butters gave his life to Christ. And it changed the whole trajectory of his life. Tra trajectory of his marriage, his fathering, everything changed. And here's the thing, that these kids, what they had done mattered. They were bringing their ordinary life, their hockey camp, as if unto God. They were being students of Jesus by reading their Bible. And they were all playing their part in God's family. Some inviting, some loving, some praying. And all of that for this story. See, there's something that these kids understood that's so important that we've never looked into the eyes of someone who doesn't matter to God. We've never looked to the eyes of someone who doesn't matter to God. You matter to God. Everything we talked about today about finding God's will is in light of how much you matter to God. Verse one in the chapter today said, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, therefore, meaning because of chapters one for 11, that we are sinners deserving of death and that Jesus came and took that penalty for us and so now we can be in relationship with God and be with him now and forever, invited into his family, a part of which God is king of everything now and the new creation to come, the king of the future. In light of all of that, because it's only because of our faith in what Jesus has done that we can even have the ability to offer our best as worship unto the one who is only worthy. See, we can't find our true purpose until we've surrendered to God's purpose. And God's purpose for us starts and it ends with Jesus. It starts and it ends with Jesus. The message version of verse two from today says this, embracing what God does and has done for you is the best thing you can do for him. Embracing what God does and has done for you is the best thing you can do for him. So let's bring our best. Let's be students of the master. Let's play our role in his family and bring our best embrace of Jesus in the incredible thing he did to save us and bring us into his family because this pleases him and in doing so, we'll see more clearly God's will for our life. Let's pray.